We are um, defining matrimonial love. Love seeks to please will be the subject of tonight's lesson. Text I give you tonight, one you've seen before, Song of Solomon 2. Where am I? I? 2-7. Okay. I charge you, O you daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. Father, we pray that you be with us tonight. Stir us up, God, to understand your truth, to apply it, obey it, to not just hear it, God, to not just be present, to make changes, We're needed for young people to learn what to practice, what to grow in, for older people to pray for correction and your grace to change, strengthen marriages, strengthen those that are preparing for marriage, and strengthen those that are not called to marriage, God, that you help them, Father, to do a good work for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love seeks to please. Now, through a false reading of this verse, Bible correctors say that this is actually Christ in type. This is actually the bridegroom wanting the church to rest in quietness. No, it's the wife that's talking here. Throughout this whole book, she's the one that says, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, and charges the daughters of Jerusalem. And of course, we just trust in our authorized version. Uh, We don't have to play games and go through all kinds of loops and skips and jumps. And it's right here in the Word of God for us. This is the trusted Word of God. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, this is... The, the wife talking, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awake my love till he please. Therefore, the wife is protecting the comfort, the rest of her husband. She's guarding that rest. She's trying to make this a pleasurable experience, a refreshment, which is for thousands of years what was seen to be the purpose of the wife, the home manager, to make the home a refreshment, to bless the husband in that sense. Uh, A loving wife will seek to please her husband. She will even guard his pleasure in godly ways, of course, by creating in the Lord an atmosphere of peace and refreshment. It's also true the other way. A loving husband will seek to please his wife. That's why we say in general that love pleases. Now this comes with biblical qualifications. We have to realize that just as we saw that love desires to be together with the beloved, it cleaves with qualifications. Now you see that matrimonial love, when it's red hot, desires to please 
the beloved. Now, the problem, of course, is that you are living in a day and age when the Bible said in the last days that this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Why are they dangerous? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's selfishness. Without natural affection. Without even that natural desire to please. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, self. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers, lust. What you see is men and women in the last days will be selfish. Do you understand? That makes marriage a problem. That makes marriage a big, big problem. You put two selfish, spoiled brats together that never received the rod of discipline and correction in life, never responded to it. Then when God tried to get a hold of them through the life of hard knocks, they still continued in their course of selfishness. It's going to make a marriage very, very difficult. If children are not raised to respect authority, they're going to grow up selfish and spoiled. Susanna Wesley, all of the older Christians, there has to be a rebellious will that has to be brought under submission. And when you don't do that with your children, and then you fill them with all kinds of drugs, and wicked Hollywood entertainment. Wow, we, we have fallen. I, I mean, just the, the expectations that we have for children today. This all pertains to marriage because they grow up. And they go get married. And you see what's happening today. They have no training to stick with anything. No willingness to keep a promise. The Bible says if you want to dwell with God, speaking of the rapture of the coming kingdom and the judgment seat of Christ and even fellowship right now, if you want to have fellowship with God, one of the things you have to learn how to do is keep a promise even when it hurts on your side. Boy, we don't have that today. Notice how many times, don't even read about it, but you, you catch headlines all over the place, you know, or try to find out if somebody bombed somebody, and you get all these crazy headlines, distractions, and, and uh, but before there can be a divorce, there must be a radical change in direction, assuming there was ever a right direction. And you will see over and over again, and so often, it's the woman today. And here's what she says. I have to live for myself. I have to love myself. I have to do what pleases me. Over and over again, this is what you see in the news. Here's just a few headlines. Mom moves on from divorce by marrying herself. I highly recommend it, she says. I do too. For people like that. Don't get married. But she's already married. So I don't recommend you divorce in a situation like that. I recommend that you come to God and 
receive His grace and start obeying Him and the fear of God and learning how to grow. And But what I'm saying is, in this day and age, when you have people that are selfish like this, God forbid, this is what the Bible prophesied would, would be the case. Marrying herself, what an abomination. We, here's another one. We had been together for five years and had completely opposite schedules. I still loved him, but realized I loved myself more. Bye. Five years. Well, maybe you shouldn't have had opposite schedules. That's another problem. Bye-bye, I love myself more. Ah, here's the new model, all in the news today. I will never divorce. That's good. A model marries herself to celebrate self-love. That's not good. She goes, I figured out how to never divorce. Yeah, you want to make a bet? Yourself is your greatest problem. Yourself is your greatest problem. In fact, that is the problem. You know, you bring children into this world in marriages, if God permits. And I'm going to tell you something. What does this do to children as you go marry yourself and love yourself and break up the family? I don't understand what in the world's going on with that. I want you to notice, I have notes on this phone. I needed to bring it today. Um, I was married for 13 years with three young children. I fell in love with myself. And I'm doing things I never dreamed I could do. She's saying that's a good thing. Married for 13 years with three young children. God forbid, fell in love with myself. Fell in love with myself. Now, what did the Bible say would be the case? In the last days, they will be lovers of their own selves. So let's take a look at some disclaimers now. When I say that love seeks to please, let's take a look at some disclaimers, okay? First of all, that is the command, the ideal, what should be the case. Obviously, that's not the case now. Love seeks to please, but if you're in love with yourself, you're going to seek to please yourself. Take a look at another disclaimer, Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So not just in marriage, but not living selfishly is the pattern of your Christian life. It certainly applies to marriage. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Love seeks to please. So the Bible's really saying, love one another. Love everybody that you're called to love. Certainly your spouse. This would obviously mean that in marriage, you are not called to please yourself as the primary goal of your marriage. You got married, and your goal is to please your spouse. That's your goal. But what happens when you're in a day and age when people love themselves and want to marry themselves? So he goes on, verse 2, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. Even Christ, so he's arguing down, if anybody had a right to, it would be the Lord. But since he came as the perfect man and did not please himself, what are you doing? Who has no right whatsoever. Or even Christ, God in the flesh, please not himself. When people divorce, they're talking about their rights and in many cases, in a sinful divorce. It's all about selfishness in a sinful divorce. But I want you to notice now a very important Holy Spirit qualification. Let every one of us please his neighbor. There's not a period there. For his good to edification. Now that's a totally different statement. See, if you have on one side please your neighbor, and you have on the other side, please your neighbor for his good to edification. Those are two totally, or can be, two totally different points. Somebody says, you should please me, we're married. Well, yes, wait a second, wait a second. You should please your neighbor, certainly your husband, certainly your wife. For his good to edification. Edification means building up in Christ, making them a better person. It was Delilah and the Philistine spirit that kept arguing, how can thou say, I love thee when thy heart is not with me? Sometimes the statement, well, you should love me or you should seek to please me is a, manipulate, a, a, a manipulation is to get somebody to please you in ways that are not for your good or edification. Older commentators like Barnes says not to seek to secure for him indulgence in those things which would be injurious to him, but in all these things which his welfare would be promoted. You're called to please me. Not to turn you into a drug addict. Not to promote bad health. Not to bring damnable doctrines and evil into the living room. How is that love? Family Bible note says we should not strive to please them any further than will be for the glory of God and their highest benefit. Oh, love seeks to please. But is it godly love? 
There's a godly matrimonial love. There is a godly spousal love that glorifies God, that seeks to please the beloved. Is it godly or ungodly? Is it foolish or is it a wise love? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown says, Not indeed for his mere gratification, but for his good with a view to his edification. And Poole the Puritan says, There is a pleasing of men which is sinful, and there is a pleasing of men which is lawful. Newell on Romans says this, of course, does not mean that we are to compromise with any evil our neighbor may be doing by having fellowship with him in a worldly path in order to win him. See, the problem we're having today is I read in a different generation and I read a Bible that warned about this generation and you're trying to make sense of life. with a totally separate new understanding that's from the devil, that's preparing the world for Antichrist. Well, you ought to love me. You ought to please me. All those words have definitions. You ought to please your husband. You ought to please your wife. And right now, if you're not married and you plan to be and think you're called to be married... You better work right now on subduing selfishness through God and His ways, through sanctification, through the Word of God, the washing of the water of the Word. And you better practice and start training right now. Or your marriage will be a nightmare. And it will not satisfy you because nothing will satisfy you. See, some of the people that the world and carnal believers think are selfish and hateful may in God's eyes be some of the most loving, unselfish people on this earth. One day says God, a cursed, selfish generation as in the days of Noah, where he has to wipe out the whole world. And he says in the last days, it will be as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot. One day a post-Christian culture will come with a form of godliness. And I believe we've arrived there. I believe we are in the great falling away when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will live for their own lusts, their own selfishness. You are in that day and age. Do you know when Susanna Wes- Wesley, who was the mother of the Wesley brothers, and, and uh, we don't agree with all the doctrine of the Wesleys, but I'm going to tell you, uh, there was a lot of godliness that came from that home. Do you know, back then, she was concerned what relatives her children stayed with? And she could say, if they stay with the wrong one, there's worldliness that gets all over them and bad manners. And I'm going to tell you, you've got a world today that has absolutely lost its mind. 
And Christians are trying to be Christian in a world that, not, not just a world, the world's always been in darkness, but you're trying to exist with other people that say they believe in the Lord Jesus, that will not obey Him, that actually hate His ways in the Word of God. The Bible said in the last days there's going to be a generation that will call good evil and evil good, which means if you're a good husband, you're going to be seen as an evil husband. If you're a good wife, you will be seen as an evil wife. The Bible said it'll be a generation of blood-sucking leeches. Wow. Proverbs 30, there is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives. What selfishness. The horse leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. She perpetuates this selfishness to her daughters. Boy, do they get married? God forbid the leech's daughters get married and they're just like her. You'll be in court. God help us. See, to this generation of leeches, any and every denial of their lust or greed or selfishness will be defined as hatred. You're my wife. You're my husband. You need to love me. You need to please me. And if you don't, you hate me. You're evil. I'm going to find somebody that will love me. So you mamas and daddies are supposed to take care of that before you ever bring them to church for marriage. See, I mean, you're supposed to fix that before their wedding day. So now we have madness spreading around the world where people think or feel that they're being merciful, but the Bible says the mercies of the wicked are cruel. You are some wicked people. Look at the country, the government of Wales. They're celebrating the 21st of March this year. It was a historic moment just a few days ago for children. This is the government website of Wales. It was a historic moment for children and their rights in Wales. From this day on, physically punishing children be- became illegal in Wales. There are lots of types of physical punishment. It isn't possible to even give a set list of what makes up physical punishment because it can be anything where a child is punished using physical force. Say bye-bye to that country. This is spreading around the world. The Bible said a time would arise when women and children will rule over them. And they'll rule over by force of law. They think they're being loving to children. If you're doing your job as a policeman and by a legislator to protect from a true abuser that's truly hurting children, but your definition of love, your definition of what is good, your definition of what is helpful and productive in a child is all messed up and perverted and upside down and is a doctrine of devils. 
So we need to love one another. And in marriage, husbands and wives need to love one another. But you need to pray that you have your definition of love right. You need to pray that you have your definition of good right. Because you are to please one another. You should have a desire to please one another. And I've been around a lot of men, a lot of husbands. I've been in the office with them. I've wept with them. I've counseled with them. And I've seen some bad ones. But I've seen a lot of men that really, really had a desire to please and would do anything they could. But if something goes against the Word of God or is not for the good of their children or the good of their wife, A lot of men have enough judgment to understand that. And it brings a dilemma because they have a desire to please. I hope there's not any Christian father that says, ha, 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 I get to take away something else they wanted to do. And I'm sure a lot of children think that. I'm sure a lot of wives think that. And it may be vice versa. It might be the wife fighting for right and godliness in the home. So this is why the Bible says in Philippians 1, this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So you'll know how to love, so you'll know what's good. If you're to please your neighbor to his good for his edification, you're to please your wife for her good to her edification. You got to know what good is. You got to know what love is. What about this? Proverbs 13, it sure is upside down from Wales, isn't it? Proverbs 13, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes in a timely manner, early. It seems that we have a world that is upside down. What they call love, the Bible calls hate. What they call hate, the Bible calls love. Wow. We see from Song of Solomon that she seeks the pleasure of her beloved, not to his own hurt. She's not sitting there protecting him and his rest. And he's been in bed for weeks drinking Budweiser. You understand that's not what she's doing. He's protecting his refreshment and rest in a godly way. Now, this doesn't mean that any marriage will be perfect and that there'll never be selfishness on either side. Song of Solomon 5, she says, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. My head is filled with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. But she says, I put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? (laughs) You have to stay outside. Um, That's a terrible thing. His, His initiation and her refusal... She is putting her own comfort ahead. 
of his desire. Finally, it says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. Not only is this a study on marriage, but it's a prophecy. What you see is when the Lord comes for his church, there are going to be many churches filled with many Christians that are going to be seeking their own comfort and not the will of God. In fact, the Lord coming is actually an intrusion to their life, see? So he's going to stay in the clouds, I believe, until he makes his final descent. And they're going through the tribulation period. They're going through the tribulation period. And hopefully they'll wake up and realize, wow, I really want to live for God and His pleasure. This leads to the second qualification. There can be no compromise of where the highest degree of love always belongs. There must be no idolatry. Anything and everyone you love more than God, anybody you put before God, the whole situation will become devilish and demonic. Abraham was tested with Isaac. You may be tested with your spouse. Adam was. Adam failed the test. That's how we ended up in this mess today. He put Eve before God. There's a tendency in love to do that. Whether it's the love for a son or daughter, or whether it's the love for your wife or husband. Moses barely made it out alive due to Zipporah and her disdain for circumcision. God says, you're a dead man. I'm going to kill you. It says that the Lord met him at the end and sought to kill him. He had refused to circumcise because of his wife. In seeking to please your spouse, which you should, that is the chief characteristic of love, you must make sure you don't displease God. The Bible says in Galatians, Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. First he told us to please men. Now he's saying don't please men. First he said please your neighbor. Now he's saying not to please them. The point is make sure you please God first. Never please men and displease God. See? And never please men in a way that's not for their good. Never please your wife or your husband in a way that's not for their ultimate good in obedience to God. I'll say this, and please listen. The, the best love you can ever give anybody, even your own spouse, is to love God first and foremost. Do you realize that's the best love you could ever give your children, your wife, your husband? It says in 1 John, by this we know that we love the children of God. So therefore we could say by this we know that you love your wife or you love your children or you love your husband. When you love God and keep His commandments, you know you're loving God. I'm sorry, you know you're loving your children when you love God and keep His commandments. You know you're loving your husband when you love God and keep His commandments. You know you're loving your wife. 
She might not think you're loving her. Your children might not think you're loving them. But what you're looking for is the long run. See, the little toddler screaming, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. He doesn't think you're loving him. But when you see him a few weeks later, sitting there in calmness and rest and wisdom and patience, oh, what a blessing. What love you show to that little fellow by teaching him that he's not king of the world. To obey this type of love will require manliness. Backbone, not meanness. It seeks to please in every way you possibly can. To give what is desired in every way you possibly can. But it will not compromise the chief love of God. It will not compromise God's commandments. And it will not compromise what is ultimately best and good for the beloved. This may not be understood until the future. It may seem like hate to foolish, spoiled minds. It may be countercultural to put God first, but so be it. It's the cross you must bear if you'll be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Because he said, anybody that comes after me and forsakes not everyone, forsakes not all, you cannot be the Lord's disciple, even your own self. Now you know why there's so true, I mean, so few disciples. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. He that is married careth for the things that are of the world. That doesn't mean the sinful world. It means that you are limited in what you could have done for God in a single state. However, if you're not called to be single, you can do more married than you could have done single. So Paul's just saying don't rush into marriage uh, if you're not called to it. He's trying to explain that the single state is not a sin unless you're not called to be single. And you're ending up in sin. He that is married, care for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Interesting. That means that is what you are supposed to do. Not first and foremost to please her, but it is part of your pleasing of God to please your wife in the marriage state. She that is married, care for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing if she's called to be married. As Wesley says, but the married careth for the things of the world, and it is his duty to do so, so far as becomes a Christian, how he may please his wife and provide all things needful for her and his family. Spurgeon tells us it is wise to marry when we can marry wisely, and then the sooner the better. I fear that in many cases love is blind and makes a very blind choice, but as they make their bed, they must lie on it. If you know it's a wise choice and it's in the Lord, praise God, get married. Don't wait. Both of you can serve God together in a wonderful, mighty way. But you better make sure you know it's wise. See, what a balance you have to achieve. If you're both committed in the fear of God to keep the flames alive... First in regard to God, then in regard to one another. What a blessing that'll be. Get married. 
But there will be responsibilities, is Paul's point. There will be necessities. You cannot live independently. You should not live. You better not live independently in marriage. You are not called to live independently in marriage, but you're raising an independent generation. And some of them want to get married just for the novelty of it. You know, one day I want to get married. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be wonderful. Just like they want a puppy dog or a monkey or something, you know, but they don't want to take care of it. See, God help us. See, if you love being single and being independent, don't get married. But even then, you're called to dedicate your life in a special way to God. You're not called to live for self, ever. Whatever time that you now have free because you're not married, you're to serve God in extra ways. This is why an unnecessary delay can create an opportunity for independence that can later make marriage more difficult. Imagine a young lady for unnecessary or worldly reasons delaying marriage. Well, she's not called to singlehood and has no desire to serve God in a single state in a special way. She ends up in a career. She ends up independent. Now she has long hours. Now she has commitments. Now she has her own ways. Now she has all this entanglement. And suddenly she's going to stop all of that, put the brakes on it, and say, oh, now I'll learn how to get along with somebody. In a Christian marriage where I'm supposed to submit and you're, you're to be the leader, it, just, it doesn't work, folks. May God... Bring grace and help it work, but it's a train or bus that's hard to stop. It's speeding downhill. There's no, there's no stopping place. In a godly marriage, there should be give and take and compromise on both sides, but you better not compromise with God. You can't have two heads or you have a monster. A man that will marry must be willing to sacrifice and please his wife that he cherishes. A woman that will marry must be willing to submit to his headship, his leadership, not live in an independent fashion. If you can't take orders from your parent, you can't take orders from adults, you walk around and somebody says, we'll do it this way, and you stomp your foot and, and, and you're just kind of a stubborn person, what do you think is going to happen in marriage? Marriage isn't some magic pill. God forbid. Sorcery's from hell anyway. You don't want to mess with sorcery. I'm, I'm just telling you, you're in a mess. That's why this world's in the state of sin it is, because everybody's living for self. The Bible says in Proverbs 30, for three things, this earth is disquieted. You want to know what it is? Here it is. Servants when he reigns, people that should not be in leadership are there. A fool when he's filled with meat, people prospering when they are not using that prosperity, they're fools. And number three, an odious woman when she is married. Wow. You put selfish people in a marriage. The world's going to become a hell. Your church becomes a hell. Your home becomes a hell. Fornication isn't an option. So unless you're gifted with singleness to serve God fully, we ought to train young people to not be independent-minded in a way that's going to hinder their marriage later. That should be your goal, Mama. That should be your goal, Daddy. 
You should train her to have a meek and quiet spirit. She's got to be married to somebody one day. Train the son, train the daughter to not please self, but to please others in godliness. Here's an article. Strong women should never do these things for a man, says Worldly News, or anyone else. Ladies, don't ever do the following five things for a man or for anybody. Never change your appearance. Never compromise your passions. Absolutely no one should get in the way of your goals. You should never wait for his approval. A strong woman plays by her rules and doesn't sit around for instructions. Don't change who you are for anyone but yourself. This is what women are being indoctrinated with all, every movie, which of course, the, what did Disney just say? We're going to make sure we put a lot more queer things inside the movies now. You know, it was already there. Feminism was already there. Dennis Prager, not a Christian, but uh, he's wise enough to see the insanity of all of this. He says this could be retitled How Not to Get Married. Feminism is dedicated to making women unhappy. Wow. They're raising these women the opposite way. They need to be raising them. Spurgeon wrote on marriage and most believe it was about his own wife, Susanna Spurgeon. He says, sometimes we have seen a model marriage founded on pure love. She finds sweetest content and solace in his company, his fellowship. At any time, she would gladly lay aside her own pleasure. His honor is reflected upon her and she rejoices in it. She would defend his name with her dying breath. The domestic circle is her kingdom that she may there create happiness and comfort. That is her life work. Even in her dress, she thinks of him. Without constraint, she consults his taste and considers nothing beautiful which is distasteful to him. A lot of the godly women down through the ages said the same thing. I won't take the time to quote them at the moment. Before Spurgeon and his wife were married and they were engaged, she went to church with him where he was preaching and he was so concentrated upon his sermon that he forgot her in the church. She left. She didn't even stay. She went home. Said, I'm not marrying him. You know what he just did? He left me in the church. And, you know, there, there might be a situation where you find somebody selfish before you get married, and it might be a good idea not to get married. She had a wise mother that said, listen, he's got a calling. It's not an ordinary situation. He's not an ordinary man. And I think you ought to try to overlook this situation. Of course, he come knocking on the door and apologized and... Uh, She writes, it was the ever-settled purpose of my married life that I should never hinder him in his work for the Lord. I thank God now that he enabled me to carry out this determination. Although Esther was in a totally separate situation, you do see the spirit that she had. Esther says, uh, chapter 2, now when the turn 
When the turn of Esther was come to go in unto the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. In Branson, there are two music teachers that have taught so many of the performers there. Very, very wise music teachers and uh, vocal teachers. One of the things they teach is that what you think sounds good doesn't really matter. See, we're going to tell you what sounds good. And, uh, you know, a lot of times what you think sounds good doesn't sound good. And what you think looks beautiful isn't beautiful. And uh, I think that's what Esther was saying. I don't know how a man thinks. She's not going to do anything ungodly. But what do you think? You know. As Barnes says, Esther let Haggai dress her as he would. Clark says, she therefore left her decorations to his judgment alone and went in that dress and in those ornaments which he deemed most suitable. There is a self-will and a wicked independence that it's a shame in marriage. If you've already allowed it to sour, True love, that is, the desire to please your husband, your wife. Get it back. Get back the desire to please. And if you're a young person or someone else who's not been married and you're called to be married, learn to get rid of that selfish, sinful independence. God remembers In Jeremiah 2, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals. If already before marriage, there are vindictive, selfish problems, that needs to be addressed. That needs to be addressed. Don't don't delude yourself that marriage is somehow going to turn you into an unselfish person. It might, with repentance and the fear of God and a lot of work. I'm just beseeching you to start right now, practicing, training to not be selfish, whether you're called to marriage or not. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for your pictures of true love, God, the kindness of love, the sweetness of love, the desire to please the beloved, Help us, Lord, to understand these things. To understand the qualifications, the disclaimers. To love you first and foremost. And to love people in a way that's good for them. And God, not in some way that is mean or a desire to please in everything we possibly can, Lord, unless it's hurtful or displeasing to God. Stir up this church with a new vision, 
a renewed vision to train up their young people, to train up the children, prepare them for marriage. In Jesus' holy name, amen.